Please join me in our scripture reading this morning. Uh, Ruth chapter 3, 1 through 18. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative with whose young women you were? See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash, therefore, and anoint yourself, and put on your cloak, and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he is finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies. Then go, and uncover his feet, and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. And she replied, All that you say, I will do. So she went down to the threshing floor, and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk, and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. At midnight, the man was startled and turned over, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. He said, Who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant. For you are a redeemer. And he said, May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first, in that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask, for all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. And now it is true that I am a redeemer. Yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight and in the morning. If he will redeem you, good. Let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then, as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. I am obviously not Patrick. I'm way close to the video. Um, Patrick was gone at a conference this week and asked me to preach for him this week so he didn't have to worry about it when he came back. So you're stuck with me. Sorry. And God, huh? Uh, no, whatever. Anyway, God has a really awesome sense of humor, and it never fails. Our theme this week is listening, listening to the outsider. And I, am, I have a confession. I am a terrible listener. And I almost didn't say yes to preaching this week because I didn't want to have to face this topic. But God calls us to what we can, usually calls us to what we cannot handle easily on our own, lest we become too dependent on our own skill. So before we dive in too deep, I know I need prayer. So let's turn to prayer. 
Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this place. Thank you for this time to stop and to listen to you. Please be in the words that are in your scripture. Let us hear them, open our ears and our hearts to hear them. And be in me, Lord. You have prepared these words. You've prepared these hearts and, and minds. Allow whatever's going to be said, be said for you and received by your people. In your name we pray. Amen. So let's do just a little bit of setup, a little bit of recap. So we're studying Ruth. Ruth was written in the time of Judges, which is all that pre-king time. But it was actually written, physically written, during the time of David and Solomon, kind of between their reigns. So it's kind of an origin story to David, as in most of our stories have, most of our Bible stories have some sort of genealogy in the beginning. So we kind of hear who's from who and, and all that stuff. But in this one, the genealogy is at the very end. So it's kind of a, it's that connection between Boaz to David. We're getting to see some of David's background. Ruth 1 and 2 we've covered, and it introduces the situation and the characters for us. Last week, Pastor Patrick pointed out that there are three main characters and one supporting character. So, quiz time. Who are our three main characters? Ruth, very good, Ruth. Ruth is a Moabite widow and a foreigner who's been adopted by, who has adopted Naomi's family, left her home, and turned to Be returned to Bethlehem. Ruth's name means companion. So who is our supporting character? Who goes with Ruth? Naomi, that's right. Naomi is the mother-in-law. She's in a supporting role. So she was also a widower. Or, yeah, she was also widowed. And she is returning with her new daughter, daughter-in-law, Ruth, to Naomi's husband's family and country, to Bethlehem. Ruth's, or Naomi's name means pleasant, but we also find out in the end of chapter one that she has decided to change her name to Mara, which means bitter, which only confuses us because then through the rest of the story she goes as Naomi. So back to pleasant. And who is our second main character? So we have Ruth. Boaz. Boaz. So Boaz comes from the same tribe and family as Elimelech, Naomi's husband. And in chapter 2, we find out that he is a potential kinsman redeemer. Short answer is he's someone that can marry Ruth. And we also find out that he's a good man. The narrator describes him as a good and upright man, a man of good standing. But he also shows that in his actions towards Ruth. He's a wealthy man, and he has to be with all that grain and workers that we hear about through the first two chapters. And we also see that he's a man of God because he calls blessing upon his workers when they greet each other in chapter 2. We also find out he's a compassionate man. He protects and cares for Ruth and Naomi through Ruth. And he doesn't just protect and care for them as he does as required by the law. He goes above and beyond what is required. And Boaz's name actually comes from two words, and when they're put together, it means in him is strength. I like names and their meanings. In the Bible, they always mean something and have something to do with the character. So who is our third character? God, very good. 
See, they listen, Patrick. They actually listen. God is our third character, our third main character. And unlike so many other biblical narratives, God is not an obvious player here. He doesn't audibly speak to anybody. He doesn't rain down thunder and, or open up the skies. He doesn't do any obvious miracles. No one even talks to him directly. The closest, the only mention and closest relation we have to that is when Boaz blesses people. He calls God's name to bless them. That's the only time we hear God mentioned through the entire book of Ruth. But God is always present and active in this book, but not in obvious, miraculous ways. In our own lifetimes, we may be lucky to witness a big miracle, maybe, once. But more often than not, it is t- we're taking his daily miracles for granted. It is those daily miracles that God works around us for his purposes and for our good. And just like Ruth, he arranges for people to come into our lives, and he provides people to be the hands and feet and providers for us. So, with introductions out of the way, Ruth 3 kind of settles in, and we see everyone settled into their groove. Ruth and Naomi are over their initial crisis. But now we're looking towards the future, which leads us to a new crisis, this need for security, which takes us to the elephant in the text, this weird description of Naomi instructing Ruth on how to come on to Boaz. Or at least that's how it reads to our modern ears. But that's not quite what's going on. This idea of a kinsman redeemer was introduced in chapter 2 at the very end. And no explanations given. But I don't know about you. I'm not a Middle Eastern historian, um, ancient historian. And so I needed to look this whole idea up a little bit so I could understand what was happening and moving in the text. So the super short version, and I wish I was in Sunday school because I totally stole what Melissa did. It looked awesome. But... The super short version that I had is that a kinsman redeemer is a close relative who is able to buy back the family land, marry the widow, and provide an heir for the original husband's name to live on. Maybe our modern ears, that sounds even worse. So let's try the slightly longer explanation. In Joshua, after the Battle of Jericho, God divides all the land and gives each of the tribes their land. These lands were not the Israelites' lands, though. It was not understood that they are now their lands to do whatever they want with. They're still God's lands. And so the Israelites could not buy other tribal lands. They had to buy. The only way they got land was when it was aired down to them through their family lines. But at heart, in difficult times, they were able to ransom their land. So Ruth and Naomi could sell off the land that was Elimelech's so they could survive. And then God provided a time during Jewish calendar years for that land to be redeemed, for that land to be rescued back and brought back into the family line. So Naomi was not only looking for a husband for Ruth, just someone that would take care of them and adopt them into their family so they could be provided for and protected. She was looking for someone to buy back the land and protect their family's future. And oh, by the way, there's no male heirs. He also has to give up his firstborn son to become that that male heir for a Limelech's line. So it wasn't a simple business transaction. It was an act of compassion. There was a lot that Boaz had to give up to fulfill that role of kinsman redeemer. 
But Boaz has shown himself capable of such a calling. He has already shown compassion to the women and his treatment towards Ruth, both in recognizing her as family instead of focusing on her foreignness. He calls her my daughter through the entire text. But he also goes above and beyond providing for her protection. He puts her with his workers and pulls out grain for her so it's not just the leftovers that she takes. And he also invites her to the worker's meal and makes sure that there's plenty for her to take home for Naomi. In chapter 3, we see Boaz continue to respond in godly ways towards Ruth. When awoken, he doesn't lash out. I don't know about you, but you don't wake mama up. You get mama ugly mama if you do that. So for Boaz to wake up and not, like, respond in anger, but instead respond with encouragement, that is only an act of God, at least in our house. So Boaz hears and responds with encouragement, and he hears not just Ruth's poetic but blunt marriage proposal, the cover me with your wings— is an ask for protection. It is her asking him to marry me. But he also hears what is not spoken. He hears and sees her character, her loyalty, and calls blessing to her for it. May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. This last instance of your loyalty is better than the first. You have not gone after young men, whether rich or poor. And now, my daughter, do not be afraid. I will do for you all that you ask, for all the assembly of my people know that you are a worthy woman. We all find out that Boaz is not the closest legally uh, possibility for the kinsman redeemer, but he promises her to take care of it and have the matter settled. And in the morning, he sends her on her way with even more grain to take home. And he hears and addresses their immediate, not just the immediate need, but also what she's not saying. Boaz shows his character, one that reflects God's compassion. Last week, in our theme, in our topic, we looked at noticing the outsider. You can't hear someone if you don't notice them first. So last week, Pastor Patrick reminded us that God is active in this story, but without noticing God, we can't hear him. Now, I've gotten into debates with people about whether the purposes of Ruth and why it should even be in the canon. I mean, really, outside of the genealogy, it is not like any book that we have and on initial read-through has nothing to say to us outside of how the act of kinsman redeemer works. And before diving into this deeper through our series and, and some other personal reading, I probably would have given a similar argument. We need it for the genealogy, and and God put it in the canon for some reason, and that's why it's there, so we just, it's there. But I believe God gave us this gem, not only so we can see the humble origins of the family line of David and those family traits that have continued through David and eventually to Jesus, but also because it sometimes takes an outsider's perspective, an outsider like Ruth, to show us and tell us what we take for granted, what we miss because we pass it all the time. Think about those common everyday sights that you have, your house, your place of work, um, the road that you drive down all the time. You just don't see stuff in them. 
in our house, we have this huge quilt that I made. It's the very first quilt I made, and it hangs back behind my couch, and walk past it all the time. I sit in front of it, watch TV. I never notice the thing anymore, outside of when I look at it and go, oh, it's dusty. But I never notice it. I never look at it. This huge thing that takes up my entire wall, never see it, until someone comes and mentions it. You know, that's one of the first things guests come, like, oh, wow, look at that quilt. I'm like, oh, yeah, I made that eons ago. It's just there. How many things like that in our life do we just not even notice? We look at, or we see, but we don't look at. The same for noise. I mean, Patrick mentioned it during our announcements, our, our greeting this morning. We don't notice noise anymore. Mom, 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 mom. For your own sanity, you stopped listening. You just can't listen to it anymore. There are other words with prolonged exposure that we stop listening to, that we stop hearing. God is love. You are loved. God loves you. God loves me. This I know. God loves all people. You are forgiven. We hear these messages every week, but we stop listening to them. We take them for granted after so much repetition. And for those of us that have always been in the church, we sometimes miss out having that moment that moment that we experience God's love, that we experience God's grace in, in, fa- in face of our dirty unworthiness. We just have always grown up hearing those things, and we don't have to take time. We don't take the time to really hear what those messages mean. Ruth and Boaz gives us that pause. It's that outsider perspective to show us God's mercy. Boaz reflects God's love in his recognition, recognition as Ruth as family. And now, my daughter. Boaz goes on and shows this outsider, Ruth, shows us how God provides in the daily, mundane life. Boaz tells her, do not be afraid. I will go and do what you ask, for you are a worthy woman. In a book full of miraculous interactions with God and intercedings by God, this story is refreshing to see and hear the miracle of God providing the everyday. And just like in Ruth and in our everyday, when we're just moving from day to day, just trying to get through to the next thing, we need that outsider. We need God who isn't really an outsider, but is indeed present not only in our intense highs and lows, which is when we most turn to him and most notice and hear those messages, but in in the miracles that happen every day around us. Now, there's a difference between seeing and looking. So I can look, I can see that quilt every day, but I never stop and look at it. And there's a difference between hearing and listening. I hear all sorts of noises, all day long. We, we're home together. We homeschool, so we are home together all day, and I hear stuff all day. And I've gotten really good at ignoring the crying and the whining and the ruckus that happens around our house. In fact, Henry, more often than not, is the one that is pointing out that Lucy's crying. And it's not because I'm an, an awful mother. It's not because I'm deaf. It's not because I'm neglectful. I just don't listen. I hear it. I just don't listen because I have to stop and move from hearing to listening. I have to stop what I'm doing and listen and take time to discern if it's Lucy crying 
or if it's one of her babies crying for Mommy Lucy. You have to stop and discern. You have to stop. In the church that I, in the church that I served, oh, sorry, back up. To move from hearing to listening, we have to make space to listen. Naomi knew this when she advised Ruth to get all gussied up and wait until the men had eaten. She knew, Naomi knew the protocol and when the favorable time would be. Ruth heeded her lesson and did as she was told. She looked for the space so she would be listened to. In the church that I served, one of the big things that I was always on them about was to be mindful of the outsider, to be mindful of the other, simply meaning make space for the new folks. And not just new folks that came to the church to visit, but I especially spoke this message to team leaders. You have to make space for new people to be in your ministry. Make space for them, be part of the team. And some leaders were great at this. Our our, uh, usher captain, Ron, was especially excellent at this. He not only took the time to train them in the art of ushering, but he took time to get to know them. And he'd check back with them. It wasn't a, okay, this is how you pass the plates. Okay, great, your schedule is here, now you go. He would make sure that every Sunday, he'd make sure whoever was on there had what they needed and did what they were good for, what they, what they needed and, and just could go about and do their thing. I wish more teams were like him because it would have been awesome. But they weren't. Some of my team leaders didn't communicate with the congregation about their ministries. I had some team leaders that had new folks come and the entire meeting never said one word to them. Not because they were mean or unfriendly. They just were in their groove and in their clique and didn't stop and take time and have eyes to notice the new person in their midst. I finally had to tell them, I'm not going to allow anybody new to come and join your ministry unless you address these things. And it's not that this congregation was unfriendly, but there is a difference between being friendly and welcoming and making space. They all wanted new people. They all wanted new people until those new people had new ideas. It's easy to welcome people, but it's sometimes hard to listen. And the Apostle Paul had the same experience. He met with, after his roadside miracle, he met with Peter and the other apostles and had to prove his sincerity and call, rightfully so, after his previous job. And once they were satisfied, he, sent, they were, he, he was sent on, their way, on his way. But he continued to meet, in every missionary instance, those that didn't want to listen. Now, if there's a reason it takes a special person to move beyond your culture and move outside your comfort circles. There's a reason why scripture says some will be apostles and others evangelists and teachers. Those are special and ordained gifts. And I have been, I don't know about you, I've been blessed to know very passionate, some very passionate and gifted evangelists and teachers. And they have taught me so much. And I wish that I was one. But we're promised gifts according to the grace given to us not the grace given to someone else, and we get their gifts. We get the gifts that God has ordained for us. He gives us the gifts that we need to work, to do the work that he has prepared for us. We're all given gifts. We're all given time. It may not feel like it, but we are. And we're all able to make room for the outsider in time to listen. Some of us will do so with compassion, as Boaz did. 
And some of us who score a big fat zero in mercy and compassion on spiritual gift tests will listen with less compassion and probably a lot more sarcasm. But we still have the ability to listen. And maybe we'll grow and God will give us the gift of compassion or mercy. I mean, miracles can happen. But even if not, we can be mindful and provide space for the outsider. Boaz could have kicked Ruth out. I mean, if someone woke me up in the middle of the night, I would probably kick him out of my room. I do, in fact. And instead of doing that, he graciously made space for her, listened to her, made space for her to rest, and then provided for her and Naomi. For their immediate need, he gave them barley to take home, but also for their future need, to see about being their kinsman redeemer. And like it or not, the difficult truth is that God has a heart for the outsider. He is provider and redeemer for the least in the, eye, in the world's eye, for children, the widow, the fisherman, the poor, the lost. And time and time again, he uses those unexpected least to accomplish his purpose. The old barren couple to seed a nation. The stuttering murderer to rescue and lead a people. The older gentleman and foreign widow to raise a kingly line. The runt of the family to be the king. The unwed mother to give birth to the perfect son. The fisherman, a tax collector, and a former persecutor of the church to start the church. He even uses you and me to live lives that reflect God's compassion and care for the world. Preach the gospel at all times. Use words if necessary. With God, all things are possible, but it takes time to make space. It takes time to listen to the outsider. It takes time to, listen, to hear and listen how God has shown his provision and grace. It takes time to, to hear and listen how God is calling you to express his compassion and care. And it takes time to make space to listen to God moving in our everyday, providing and arranging things for his good and his purposes. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for the example that you give us in Ruth and Boaz and Naomi. Help us to respond faithfully and with encouragement and with compassion and with faith. Allow us to step out in faith with all that you have for us. In your name we pray. Amen. We now have the opportunity to come to God's table, to Jesus' table, and celebrate the love that Jesus has for each and every one of us. Thank you, Rachel, for sharing.